0: Hey everyone, and welcome back to another week here on the Foundry Church Podcast. We upload a new message here every week, so if you want to be notified every time one of those go up, make sure to subscribe. You can also keep up with us throughout the week on our Facebook page. Just search the Foundry Church. With all that said, let's continue with our series called Listen. So we're in week two of our series, Listen, Dealing with Prophecy. A little bit of a character study in this because uh, last week we talked about Jeremiah. This week we're talking about Elijah, the prophet Elijah from the Old Testament. If you don't know Elijah, he is, as a famous um, San Diego... News anchor once said, A big deal. Um, Elijah's a big, big deal in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And we um, are going to tune our ear to his life and some of the stories. You're going to hear a lot of the stories of Elijah's life today. And we're going to experience it and listen close to what God is saying on a macro and a micro level. We are really going to kind of dial in and listen because as the church listens, we begin to hear the matter at hand on God's heart and we attend closely to what matters to God so as we get ready to jump into Elijah let me ask you this and husbands I think you understand this probably better than anyone you're dead asleep you're woken up to did you hear that And you're like no because I was dead asleep amen anybody yeah and it's like do you want to go check on it no I was dead asleep what if it's a burglar we have insurance, right? Just leave us alone and take what you will, right? There's a casserole in the fridge, God bless. Like, I, I don't wanna get up, right? I don't wanna do all that stuff. But it's like, the, did you hear that? I, I love that line and we've had it a few times. Did you hear that? No, I didn't hear that. I, I I wasn't listening, I was sleeping. Wet spot on the pillow, me. You know, just out. Or if you go hunting, if you're a hunter and you're sitting there and the, you know, the it's just a dream, giant bones growing out of its head. Buck walks out and your son's like, oh, there he is, it's huge, oh my just kill him! And you're like, he super heard that and he's running 500 miles an hour, right? Or you get out there before dawn and it's super dark And they're sitting there and you hear like this rustling and something's eating acorns like no tomorrow. And you're like, oh, it's my dream come true. It's the biggest deer ever. It's just a 14 pound squirrel getting his like acorn on. The sun comes up and you're like, oh, because kids are like, do you hear that? Oh, it's him. He's come to be taken. Let's prepare the freezer. And then the sun comes up and what they heard was a little different than what they see. Did you hear that? Today, we're gonna dive in to a scripture that has a lot of texture to it. So join me as we listen in to 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 10 to 18, the story of Elijah on the mountain of God. Check it out.
1: And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant Torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me, too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him.
0: So that's, that's the end of the story today. We're going to end up there. So what we have to do is leave 1 Kings 19. We've got to jump back to 1 Kings 17. And we're going to talk through narratively some of the stories of Elijah's life and we're going to apply them and how the prophecies that are going on in them and the word of the Lord, the matter on the heart of God is being explained and dealt with in this time. So there's a story of Elijah when he is sent into the desert. God says to him, this is um, 1 Kings 17, so if you ever want to read it and get the whole story, hopefully you did this week. It was in your uh, devotions, which you can grab when you leave. Next week's on Ezekiel. But Elijah was sent out to the Careth Ravine. And God said, there will be a brook there, and you are going to drink from this brook, and I am going to send the ravens to bring you food. So Elijah goes out, he finds the brook, kind of like a little old hippie in a VW van, living down in a van, down by the river, he's there, and God's bringing him food in the mornings and the evenings. Crows would show up, ha, and they would land and they would give him bread, and they would give him meat, which means there was a baker who's like, what is up with these crows who keep stealing my bread? You're gross meat eaters, right? I mean, just... I love the reality of scripture. Somebody was getting bread stolen by this story. But anyways, um, so Elijah's there and he's eating morning and night. He's being delivered food. It's really the first Uber Eats. It's quite fascinating. And, um, and so as he's there, suddenly the brook begins to dry up. But there's an irony to this because who is the prophet who spoke out against the kings and the monarchy and said, there will be a drought in this land and it won't rain for three years? Elijah, Elijah says a prophecy and then he has to live with the effects because the brook he's sleeping next to dries up, which I just think would be like awesome. Glad I said that, right? Because you're living with the consequences of your own prophecy. But Elijah hears from the Lord. Sometime later he says, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. The matter on the heart of God came to Elijah and he said, go to Zarephath. I have directed there a widow there to supply you with food. Now know this in the ancient world, especially in this like this kind of Semitic cultures, would have been a widow would have been the lowest class. They're down there with like they can't own land, they're considered property. I didn't make the rules, I'm just telling you history here and and it's a really like low state in life. And Elijah's going to go live off her. It's a strange word, but he obeys the word of the Lord, and he goes to Zarephath out by Sidon, and he gets there. He gets to the town gates. When he gets to the town gates, where like the elders and the leaders of the city would gather, he spots a little lady, and she is picking up sticks. She's gathering sticks to build a fire, and he says to her, woman, can you get me a drink? To which, let's just be honest, she's like, Sure, I can put down all my sticks, sir, and get you a drink. So she goes and gets him a drink. When she brings him the drink, there you go. Would you mind making me a cake? Uh, Not like a birthday cake, but like a little loaf of bread. Now, I want you to catch this exchange. I want you to get the humanity of it. I want you to get the deep lines in the face of the lady when she says, Look. These sticks are for a fire. I'm making my son and mine's last meal. We're out of food after this, and then we're going to die. How much would you like? You know, the how much would you like was my addition. It was kind of, you know, like, what do you want from me? Come on, leave me alone. But Elijah had lived through miraculous provision, He'd been fed and watered by God in the desert. He knew that the work God had done in him was now something God was gonna do through him. And God said to him, tell the woman not to be afraid, to go ahead and make you a cake, and after that, feed her and her son. And the flour and the oil will never dry up until the rains return and the land harvests again. Elijah tells her this. Can you imagine the, the game in her mind when she's sitting there going, do I make this guy a cake? What if it's a really cruel trick? What, if he, what is going on? What do I do? But in fact, she does, in faith, give him some food. She actually welcomes him into her home. The, the oil and the flour never run out and her son and her live, probably not super prosperously, but they live. There's enough for today. Every day kind of harkens back to the Exodus with the manna. And we can see this story has some real feeling to it. Like Elijah's now living with this lady in her home and she has a son. The reason she has a home is because of that son, he would have been the heir to the property. And then one day, the son dies. And the widow has some very sharp words. He grew worse and worse and finally just quit breathing. And she said to Elijah, what do you have against me? What is your deal? Why did you come into my life, save me and my son, only to steal my son from me? That's what I was living for. Why did you do that? Elijah picks the child up, picks the young man up, walks upstairs to his bedroom and lays the boy out on the bed. And then it says, Elijah laid face to face. Now there is tons of Hebrew like in this, like touching a dead body is unclean, all this stuff. Like God's really doing something here. You can feel the tension of the scriptures. Not only is this woman's son, but she's like, where are you going with him? Like think of what's going on in her head. And she hears from the upper room, Elijah cry out, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return return to him. A second time, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. A third time, he cries out, and the boy's eyes pop open. Like, that had to be a weird thing. Oh, excuse me. Kind of jump up. I mean, it's kind of weird, you know, a little close. Bubble. And he picks the boy up. Isn't that interesting? He picks him up. He doesn't say, hey, run down, see your mom. He picks her up, and he carries the boy down to his mother. And he gave him to his mother, and he said, look, your son is alive. Now remember, this widow had been living off the miraculous provision of flour and oil that never ran out, even though there was just a little in the bin every day. There was enough for every day. Living miraculously off of this amount for who knows how long, let's just say three months, okay? But this is her response to this miracle. Now I know that you are a man of God. I mean, cool, but dinner for the last three months was on me, go ahead, right? I mean, that would be a weird thing, but now I know that you're a man of God and that the word of the Lord that comes from your mouth is truth. I know that what you say is close to the heart of God. What you say is a matter. It matters to God. Well, what had he been saying? It was a word of the Lord in everyday life to her. It was a word of the Lord that God cares for our most basic needs. And there are those of us in this church who need to hear and know that God cares for your most basic needs. Though you may feel isolated under the crushing weight of something, God still cares for your most basic needs. God hasn't left you or abandoned you. He cares for your most basic needs and he provides. God is a God who provides. What we begin to see is this prophetic move of God is happening where? In the life of the lowest class of person in the area. One life. The prophet Elijah, spending time with one widow who is insignificant in the social structure, but not to God. God provides and he cares. And it tells us this that the prophet, that person who is filled with the Spirit of God and given a word to speak, has to do two things. They must first listen. Now, I think God got Elijah's attention when the brook dried up. So he began more like, so super, where do I go next? What, what's next? He got his attention through circumstances, I believe, but um, he had to listen, but then he had to obey. He had to obey no matter how strange it seemed. His obedience was a living confession that he trusted in the character of God more than the social appearances of what he was doing. More than how he felt about, like, you know, living with a widow and her son, feeling like how people are like, how's that guy? Why is he mooching off them? He didn't care. He listened and he obeyed and he did so because God was interested in this individual's life. But remember, Elijah was ministering to her in a place he knew well. So when he listened and obeyed, it was echoing something he had gone through. He had experienced the miraculous provision of God, and he would go out and declare to a widow the miraculous provision of God. God did something in him before he did something through him. God's prophecy was for everyday, ordinary people. And here's what I love about the Christian faith. It, it always points back to showing God's concern for individuals. We're not just a macro unit, the church. You are the church, individually, dearly loved and worth dying for. We are the church but we all individually come to this faith. So what we see in this is God's prophecy through the prophet Elijah was saying and declaring that God is there for everyday, ordinary people, and it's because he is concerned. It's an active showing of concern for their well-being. Individuals. Now let's jump ahead one chapter. into 1 Kings chapter 18, let me set the scene. You have Elijah, and the spirit of God close to him, but nobody can see him. You have the prophets of Baal. 450 of them plus one, because Ahab, the king, was there. On this side. And it's a showdown. It is a showdown between the false god Baal and the God of Israel, almighty God. It's gonna be a showdown. And because there were no screens, this was the event of the year. This was a big deal for the community around. So there would have been a lot of people who climbed up that dusty mountain to watch the showdown, the prize fight, between the ancient god Baal and the ancient god Yahweh, and they were gonna see who was gonna win. So there would have been a big crowd. So you have Elijah, you have the prophets, and you have the crowds. And Elijah says to the prophets of Baal, you guys go first in this little showdown. I'll give you honors. You can go ahead and tee up first. So they build their altar. They stack the wood. They put the sacrifice on it. But here's the rule of the the test. If your God is God, he will consume the sacrifice by fire. So you have to build it, but you can't like, you know, like throw a match on it when no one's looking, right? So it's bone dry. It's really arid right now. There's been no rain. Things should light up pretty easily. So the prophets of Baal... Begin to do their thing. They start chanting and incanting and doing these different things. They start dancing around. And Isaiah or Ezekiel, oh my word, Elijah, boy, that was fun. Um, Elijah's standing there, he's watching him. This is where I really believe I found my best friend in scripture other than Jesus, but I really like Elijah. I really like Elijah because he is just. He's kind of that horrible guy who jaws too much in basketball, right? They're dancing and calling on bail, and Elijah says, "Do you think maybe he's hard of hearing? Maybe you should shout louder." Oh, that's petting the cat backwards, isn't it? That's not gonna go well. So he just watches, he's like I, I mean, just you know, ask him for a friend sits over there and they keep doing their thing, 450 of them, making a ruckus. Well, now they're going to get a little louder and they're going to get a little more emphatic. And right when they're really kind of hitting a fever pitch and now the dust is kicking up and people are like, do you think it's going to work? You hear the voice of the prophet one more time. Maybe he's on a trip. he's heckling them. 451. And he takes the odds. I love that. He's like, maybe he's on a trip. Maybe he's just out of town. I don't know. Maybe he went up north for the weekend because, you know, he just wanted to get away. And they're just like, oh, they get really mad. Who here's seen The Little Mermaid? Anybody? Remember at the end when um, Prince Eric, my man, um, he kills, floats him and jets him, the the little eels and poof and babies and and they float down in pieces and Ursula grabs the trident and she's really mad and she goes, huh, and ink squirts out. Anybody remember that? This is my mental picture for what happens, because get this, this is what happens next. Elijah has got him kind of really ticked off, and they're really frustrated, and he does this. I don't know, maybe he had to go away and relieve himself. He just said, maybe your God's in the bathroom, and he's taking a while, just the inking, right? Can you see just, And they just, oh, they're so mad. You can just feel it. You just want to pounce on them and wail on them. But they've got to get their God to answer, so they go crazy. They're cutting themselves. They're freaking out. Eventually, they flop down, exhausted, worn out, and a very much intact, unburnt sacrifice. Elijah builds an altar. Elijah stacks the wood, places the sacrifice, and then says, in the middle of a drought, go get me water and they bring the jugs of water up three times. Three times, they cover the sacrifice, so much so that they dig a trench around it to hold the water in. So if anybody's ever tried to light wet wood, that often makes Christians go to confession. That doesn't work well. You're just like, like please, do you get gasoline? Like, oh my gosh, you know? And it never works, it takes forever. He soaks the wood. He soaks the wood, and then he says, answer me, Lord, answer me, and I want you to think like you've been watching these people act like just losers for four and a half hours dancing around a pile of rocks, getting taunted by a dude in a robe. And so you don't, you're probably your expectations, you know, it's kind of a prize fight where all they do is dance around each other. You're probably like, okay, and all of a sudden their eyebrows get singed because, whoom, God shows up and incinerates the sacrifice. And everybody's like, whoa. And God shows up and it's completely consumed. And then the prophets of Baal are like, oh, we super lost, but they're tired and worn out. And Elijah is tired and worn out of them prostituting the people of Israel. So, what does he say? Get them. They have led you away from the Lord your God. Put them to death. They were too tired to fight back. And the prophets of Baal died on the mountain that day. Ahab runs home to his wife Jezebel, and he's like, oh, he killed all my prophets. He killed all my prophets. And she gets really mad. But what we have to look at here for a minute is this. We had an individual word of the Lord. But there's another word that comes. It's a societal word. It's a cultural word. It's a national word. It's a global word. It's a word that shakes the foundations of where you live and the culture you accept as normal. God speaks into society. He calls out and questions the norms and the accepted ways of living that we've accepted that he has not. He calls to account through the prophetic voice things that are not okay on a societal level, on a cultural level, on a national level. We have a God who speaks this tender, kind individual word, but also a God who can shake the very foundations of the earth with a societal word, a thing that turns people back to God. Hear these words when we know that God's speaking to society. Here's how we know why the prophets of God have declared the matter close to God's heart to the people time and time again. Elijah wasn't the only prophet to do it. Many did it, but why? Why did they speak to the culture at large? I think verse 17 in chapter 18 says it perfect, or verse 37, excuse me, says it perfectly. Answer me, Lord, answer me so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and you will turn their hearts back towards you. That is the word of the Lord for a society at large, and that is the word of the Lord that lives resident in this church, in your heart, in my heart, in the calling of this church. Answer us, Lord. Speak to us, Lord, so that this world will know that you, Lord, are God, and you will turn the hearts of people back to yourself. That is a word of God on a massive macro level. And there's also the word of God on an intimate, personal level. I think it shows the character of God because God speaks to the crowd at large. But make no mistake, we join and come to this faith, one person, one soul at a time. There's an individuality among our corporate gathering. And when we look at this, we can see that the word of the Lord does reach into society, whether we like to hear it or not. The call of God rings out clarion and crystal clear. Answer us, Lord, answer us, speak to us, Lord. Let us listen and hear the answer of God so that the world's hearts will turn towards him. Let's turn back to the prophet Elijah. I mean, he just knocked my Tyson out right there. It's over. I mean, it's amazing. But then something happens and we see the humanity in Elijah. We see the humanity kind of bubble through. Ahab goes back. He tells his wife Jezebel everything that happens. And she says this, if by tomorrow you are not exactly like the life of all the other prophets I put to death, then I will seek you the next day. I will find you. I am going to kill you. And Elijah, weary and worn out, flees he runs away. He runs out into the desert. He crawls underneath a broom brush, lays down so that he might die. Have you ever been there? Oh, just take me now. But think about it. He's had a real literal mountaintop experience, but he runs away, collapses under a bush so that he may die take my life, Lord, I'm no better than my ancestors. He's exhausted and he's worn out and he lays down and he falls asleep. He falls dead asleep. And then an angel touches him and wakes him and says, wake up, eat and drink. And there's a jar of water and bread cooking on hot coals. He takes it, he eats it, he drinks and Kind of like a newborn gets those weird kind of, you know, like when babies get a little milk drunk and they're like, "Ah," you know, and then boom, they're out. It's a terrible way to say it. But they're just kind of full and they're sleepy. He does the same thing. Boom, back under the broom bush. He's out. Then the angel shakes him again. Elijah, get up. Eat for the journey is too much for you. You need what this is. Eat and drink. He gets up. He eats, he drinks, and he sets off on foot. Strengthened by the food, he travels 40 days and 40 nights on foot. I walk three blocks, and I'm looking for a camelback, right? (laughs) 40 days and 40 nights on foot, he travels. And then he gets to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. And he climbs up the mountain, and he goes in a cave, because he's just beat, dog, tired, and he wants to sleep and spend the night. And we find ourselves at that cave where God begins to speak and God says to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah, what are you doing here? And this is what I love. There is a word of God for our souls and please don't ever think this isn't true. This is so true. You and I are priests and prophets of this faith into that world and it is gonna wear your soul out. Your body will also get worn out in ministry, in life. You're gonna be worn out. Elijah was beat. He was crashing. Have you ever seen a toddler at 11.30 at night at a um, New Year's party who's just trying to make it? to the end of the party, they've got a like a pretzel rod dipped in white chocolate and sprinkles, a juice box and they're walking and then they just start doing circles and they're, they're, like, and they're like, I think something's super wrong with your kid, you know. That just doesn't look healthy. You should put it to bed. And, and they're just, uh, and they're kind of crashing. And then you grab them and you're like, hey, let's go to bed. No, and they do that weird child arch. And you're like, well, oh, I got them. Oh, it's planking. And you take them and they're like, no, 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 no. I never, I'm not tired. I don't want to. And you're like, oh, I didn't even get them on the bed. And they cash, right? Crashing, emotionally, physically, spiritually, broken. I think that's where Elijah was. And I think God put him there. I think God let him get there. He had given it all. He had been faithful in every possible way. He had poured his life out. God had showed up in a huge way and shown up where Elijah could see him and do amazing things. Yet there were still those in the kingdom who hated him, who hated him, and it broke his heart. It hurt Elijah because Elijah's a human. He's a spirit-filled human, or he's a, the Spirit of God's on him, and he's a human. He's tired. He wants to be loved. He wants to be liked, but he has to be faithful, and it wears him out. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. You are gonna get worn out. You're gonna get tired. And here's the good news God cares. God cares the expenditure of your soul when you think no one was ever watching. When you serve and you love people to the very end of your being and you think no one ever noticed, no one ever saw. God saw, God cares, and God continues to give beauty from ashes. I love this aspect of it. God cared that he was broken and God would do for him the only thing that, he, that would matter, the only thing that would heal the heart, the body, and the mind of Elijah. God speaks, God says something, God gives him something. Listen to it again.
1: And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty, The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. The Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. All
0: right, he had gone there to get some sleep. He had gone there to get some sleep, and God decides to show up and reveal to Elijah himself. He's going to show Elijah himself the only sustaining element that could bring Elijah back to life. So Elijah gets up, and there are three massive, what I would say, distractions, or things that would be like you would think, surely this must be God. When the wind, the tornado comes through and splits the rocks, and you think, well, that's got to be him. Right, that's gotta be God. But Elijah listens and watches. Then an earthquake comes, and I've ridden a couple of those out, and that is a weird feeling when terra firma starts moving underneath you. You're like, what in the world? But he rides it out, and then a fire shows up. He's like, you know, you gotta think. He's like, all these are kind of like earth-shattering symbols of God, powerful things, but he listens. And there was a gentle whisper. And Elijah puts his cloak over his face and he steps out to meet God. He steps out to meet God because he wasn't alone. God wasn't without a plan. And when he goes out and he meets God, God speaks a word of how he's gonna deal with a despotic monarchy and how he's gonna raise up a prophet after Elijah. Like, I think about this, I'm like, oh man, it'd be so awesome. It'd be so awesome to be in that moment. Absolutely at the, at the end of yourself and to meet an all-sufficient, all-sustaining God. God's message to the prophet is perfect. It is perfect, whether it is an intimate word or a word to culture at large, it is perfect. God is big enough to deliver both of them, and it's taxing on the prophet It is taxing on people who have to live faithfully according to the word of the Lord. And by the way, I'm speaking of you. You have to live faithfully according to the word of the Lord. God is speaking. The question simply comes back. Are you listening? Are you listening? Are you doing your due diligence as someone who stands in the same lineage as Elijah? The same spirit of God that hovered on him fills you fills you, are you listening? Are you listening through the noise, through the disasters of your life, through the chaos? Are you listening, church? How can we ever speak a word to a world that is desperate to hear it if we never shut down and listen? Are you listening for God to speak? Are you listening and learning how to know and recognize his voice? to know and recognize his voice above the chaos of the world around us. Everything's screaming. I still believe God is whispering gently and it is the Christian's duty, obligation, and probably our highest calling to find that frequency and tune in to what the heart of God is for this world around us. Because you may be sitting there in crushing circumstances going, God could never use me. God will never use me. He will take what you're going through and use it to help people cope and walk through it as well. What God does through you or in you, he will quite often do through you. It takes a church that listens and knows the word of the Lord concerning their lives. Pray with me. Thank you, God, for who you are, for a prophet like Elijah, who stood out like a bulwark and a pillar in an age of just despotic paganism and loss. God, thank you for a prophet like this. Thank you for a spirit that moves. And thank you whether on a global, national, or a cultural scale, or on an individual scale, you speak a word that is accurate, that is intimate, and transformative, so that we wouldn't be bound and burdened by this sinful nature we carry, but we'd be remade. We'd be remade by the one who gave us his identity, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Would you join me as we close with a song? You and I are each filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and you and I are each individually called to live into the expansion of the kingdom. And I've heard so many people say, I don't have anything to say, Eric, when like someone asks me about my faith. I don't know what to say. Can I offer you the single advice of this series? Listen, church, listen. Get in your devotions. Grab them on the way out. Listen, church. God is still speaking. And it's going to come at a much lower decibel than the screaming culture around us. Listen, church. And then when he speaks, courage to you who have to obey. Because it's never a word that's like, sweet, I would love to do it. It's usually a challenge. It's usually a stretch. But it is where we find life and life to the fullest in obedience and participation to the mission and glory of Christ in this world. Listen, church, the Spirit speaks and moves. How will we respond once we tune our ears? to what is the matter on the heart of God. If you need prayer, we have two prayer stations. Please don't neglect it. Come up, we'd love to pray with you. Even if you just need to share what's burdening you, we'd love to be there, pray with you. Until then, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. My friends, you are dismissed. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you're looking for a way to prepare yourself for next week's, you can visit us at foundrychurch.net and find our weekly devotions. Beating God's word every day is part of what we call our weekly rhythm here at the Foundry. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope you'll join us again next week.